I'm back again. Uh, Priya Sachdev on Street Wisdom, the podcast that focuses on translating wisdom to street level application. Um, so if today's podcast seems like a bit of a rant, I'm sorry. But it's just that in the past couple of weeks, there's been so much of conversation on topics which I've tried to put together for this conversation today. And um, I know that there are, you know, viewpoints and very strong polarized viewpoints on some of these. So um, I am nowhere saying you're right, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, you're right, uh, I'm right, you're wrong, <laughs> neither of that. I'm just putting across my perspective uh, of some of the stuff I've read recently, some of the things I've agreed upon and not agreed upon. So uh, uh, putting that disclaimer out, saying this is just a perspective, um, my own personal perspective, and you have the right to agree or disagree and uh, just take it from there. But I'm specifically wanting to talk today about, you know, all these words that we've been listening to for the past couple of months, almost more than a year now. We've heard about the great re resignation, the quiet quitting, the moonlighting, the hustle, the gig economy, the new norm, and all of those words, right? And when I think about these words, uh, what's coming to my mind is, is there like a revolution in the making? And that's really what I want to talk about today. And before we go on and talk more about those elements, I want to talk about just a very quick definition of what a revolution is, because I know that, you know, it seems like a big word and it seems like, oh, well, that's something we did many years ago. And why is this being a revolution? So think about this from a definition by the academic. So I'm not making this up. It says that revolution entails not only mass mobilization and a regime change, but also more or less a rapid and fundamental social, economic and or cultural change during or soon after a struggle for power. Okay, so just keep that in mind as you're thinking about these words in that contest now. Um, academics also have stated that this, uh, if you were to see society as a system in equilibrium between the various resources, demands and subsystems, which could be political, cultural, etc., a trigger creates a severe disequilibrium. And that is responsible for the revolutions, right? And if that be true, while in the past it is true that we've seen more political and some social um, kind of revolutions and they've been triggered by the disequilibrium in power or religion or races, I think what's happening right now is pretty much the same. And the trigger event for us has been the pandemic. And Maybe this was just headed this way, you know, it was going to happen. But the tailwind by the pandemic kind of pushed us over the edge and the disequilibrium has created that revolution. So let's take a pause. Let's just think back, right? So really far back, 
we've had the world wars, we've had the industrial revolution. And this was the first time where we realized that we could be more effective if we created things in terms of economies of scale, right? And we started to do that. We started to manufacture things. Uh, it led to monopolistic markets. People would have licenses, would charge royalty, and there were proprietary designs, uh, formulae, and even the way they set up their lines. And nobody was allowed to enter those factories and setups at that time. And most people had a blue collar job. It was a nine to five. You worked as labor, be it in an industry or in agriculture as well as that. And when people thought about it, the big question in their mind was stability. And stability came at the back of the world wars because we were struggling to survive, right? So creating stability was important. And that generation of the baby boomers and whatever else we'd like to call them, the primary focus was on survival. Even the frameworks we created, like the Maslow's hierarchy talks about that, right? That's like the basic, uh, can I have a house? Do I have, you know, uh, food to eat? Do I have clothes to wear? And it was pretty much focusing on that. And the fixed hours of work, living within our means, save what and when you can, were some things that we kind of focused upon. And it reflected in our work cultures as well. We said the boss is always right. The white collar jobs were aspiration. Education got you higher pay scale jobs so that you could be the manager and even if you see the incentives we gave people, you were to be given a gratuity if you paid for, you know, five years of work. And you would retire at 58 and enjoy your pension benefits after that. And we moved from this industrial world, which was pretty much monopolistic, gradually into what we started to call the information age right? Um, and while, yes, information became available to us at the click of the button, there was this thinking that changed for us as well, right? And I can kind of relate to it because having the advantage of seeing both the generations means I've seen my parents who came to India after the partition happened and had to struggle to build a home all over again from scratch and survival and stability was important to them to when it came to us, we were born in our own house, right? So never kind of understood that, yeah, okay, having a home is important, but what's the big deal? So for us, that focus, and I can say it for a lot of us in my generation, uh, the focus was more from just survival to now focusing on a standard of living, right? And then that standard of living was more about not just what I own, but where does that sit, right? So not just a home, but is it a two-bedroom or a three-bedroom or what neighborhood is it in? All those factors started to become important, right? And I think specifically, we saw this, you know, classes become more divided, uh, not from a caste perspective, but from 
the aspiration perspective and we saw this middle class kind of become this big bulk where they were willing to work hard to fulfill their aspirational needs uh, our markets also became competitive right we moved out from the monopolistic markets so now see how of all of this kind of played out differently at work as well because we moved from um you know save now buy later to buy now pay later <laughs> kind of transitions and we realized that we were working more in a global play we had leaner organizations with matrix structures we started to take advantage of whatever were our strengths if we had mining in one area we set up services in the other and we created good infrastructure so that transportation could happen and so information age allowed us to kind of think beyond the constraints of those monopolistic markets and we became competitive and not just in businesses and resources but even in our ideologies we did become competitive right and from uh, you know information holding the power we came to having information at the click of a button and we said intelligence holds the power which is why data became the new oil and we started to focus on how data is available to make us more effective and efficient and we're still pretty much getting good at using that effectively and efficiently right so i can tell you that and this sounds like really old every time i say this and i try not to say it too often but i still say this because i can't help it um but as a student i studied a subject called general knowledge and i proudly could remember the capitals of most of the countries across the world and also some so many other general facts like who were the political leaders who were important etc but today if i think about it myself sometimes i i have a very blurry line between where my intelligence ends and maybe not intelligence just memory <laughs> ends and where google begins because we don't try and remember all of this anymore right if i were to say how many uh countries are there in the world you don't need to know the answer you can just google it and respond to it at the click of a button and we are getting smarter and our phones are getting smarter than many of us were when we were growing up and i think this is where also somewhere we are now transitioning and technology allowed us to do this right we started to move away from what we call the grunt work the labor work because we could now afford machines who would do it for us right and every time technology happens we move ourselves up on the value chain so now if the machine can do the labor work i am not doing the labor work but i am going to manage the machines which means i need data right so it's kind of connected and all happening in multiple dimensions to deliver that and you know um there is this big focus now on quality of living we are 
moving from survival to standard of living to quality of living. So now we are not questioning the fact that I have a house or I have a car. I am now looking at what kind of car do you have? Is it electric? Are you burning too much fuel? Are you creating too much pollution? And those things are becoming important topics of conversation. And I'm not saying we are there yet, but we are just more aware and conscious about that, right? Um, and, you know, um, every time I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking very recently I started to do yoga and my um, instructor uh, for yoga was giving me feedback on some of the asanas we need to do. And it was interesting to see that when I had seen that asana happen, I thought that a certain body part needs to be more flexible for me to be able to do the asana. But when I started to do it, I realized that actually that's only what was visible to me. Really what is behind it is a completely different muscle set that I wasn't even focusing on. And, you know, so there is an asana called the halasana, which is really picking up your legs and taking them back and touching the ground behind your head. And you'd apparently think that your legs should be able to go there. But when you do it, you realize your legs have to do nothing in it. What you really have to ensure is that your back is flexible to be able to move up that much and the legs will automatically get there. And the reason I'm sharing is because I don't want to show off that I do yoga, but I do want to a bit maybe. But really what I do want to say is that, you know, this is happening to us as well. We are just focusing on the visible part of the problem, which seems like quiet quitting and the resignations and the moonlighting. But I think what's happening is really a revolution at a completely different point in time, which needs to activate different muscles. Because we are trying to go back in time and that never happens, right? We moved forward. And moving forward, you can't go back and say, okay, people come back to office and do all of that because we've changed the norm. Um, maybe I'm aware of things I wasn't aware of. Maybe there is technology available which wasn't available earlier, right? I am having this conversation with you, maybe in a synchronous and an asynchronous time right now. And that's the beauty of technology that allows us to do that. So why would I want to go back in time where this was a constraint? So I think it's important that we realize that and we realize that there are some of the things that we need to reprioritize on. And, you know, I have 24 hours in a day and so do you and so do all of us. And while I'm willing to commit eight hours to work, be it my own or a job or a management role, I still have 16 hours and I do want to have the freedom and the flexibility to decide what I will do with those 16 hours. I may want to go for a trek or spend time with my family or do a side hustle and there's nothing wrong with it. And in fact, um, not pointing this towards any specific person or organization, but generally saying it is that, you know, this whole talk about moonlighting, how does this apply to contract workers then? How does that apply to the gig economy where we are seeing a rise of fractional roles becoming available or contract workers working with multiple organizations? 
and respecting the privacy respecting the proprietary information that they have and today we have technology to kind of help us set those boundaries as well right so i think and maybe this is an appeal to all the people who are in positions of influence and decision in organizations can we stop trying to go back in time and look at where are we today what are the things we want and our employees want and maybe it's time to just define new rules of the game and then play the game with those new rules i think a lot of times when we struggle with some of these points it's because the matrix that we are using to measure people are old but the system is new and it doesn't work right because if you were measuring me to be effective by the number of hours i gave at work yeah maybe i'm not giving it as many hours but am i delivering on the objectives and the outcomes maybe i am then measure me on that and not how many hours it took me to do my job because just clocking the number of hours is not fulfilling anymore and we are focusing on quality of life also just a viewpoint but i think in the past we had this whole concept of deferred living it was you work hard now you retire at 50 40 60 whenever and then you actually become alive but we are moving away from that right i don't want to live this whole deferred living i want to embrace the here and now the the moment that i'm in because we're saying anything can happen in the future right and if that be true then how are we as the seniors the leaders the managers the entrepreneurs creating that culture so that we allow everybody to have a better quality of life uh, we can't keep living longer and not being alive in the moment right and i'm not trying to sound poetic at this but it is true and i think that big shift is going to come when we consciously stop treating humans as resources and putting them in the expense column of our annual reports and i know this is a big thing that i'm putting out there but think about it humans could be assets why not have a human asset department in your organization and not look at them as expenses but look at them as an investment that you make to maximize your returns and that may change the way we look at that uh, the whole kind of system right and i have been saying this for a very long time our words create our future so if we think about the words we use every day maybe it is not to go back to office maybe it is not to work with human resources maybe it is not to measure them on the number of hours they clock in a job that they do but it is to create a more engaged workforce who is available for you not because they have to but because they want to and i'm not talking about finding your passion and that stuff and maybe we'll talk about that in another podcast uh, but this time this is 
maybe a bit of a rant, but also a perspective that, you know, the great resignation move to the great regret to the great job hunt again. <laughs> and some of these things are cyclic and let's not worry about it. But for sure, what we do need to think about is that the rules of the game are changing and we need to define them. We need to embrace them and we need to get vocal about them so that all of us can create that collectively because that's when we'll embrace it more effectively as well, right? So um, I hope I brought in a perspective to some of the topics that have been so much in vogue recently. <laughs> and uh, hit me up if you have a perspective that agrees or disagrees with mine. And maybe let's have a conversation around what are you doing to create those new rules of the game? And till then, keep listening to this podcast because we'll keep coming up with more points of view as we keep building more episodes and more topics to talk about. Catch you on the other side. <laughs>